Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and this one is Sports Edition. I've got with me Chuck Nice. Yes, sir. In the house. That's right. And Gary. Hey, Chuck. Hey, Neil. <laughs> Just to confuse you. Just to, right. Yeah, no, that, that doesn't, no, that, no. No, you can't do that. Can't do that? No, no, no. Confuse you. But people get hurt for less than that. Really? <laughs> All right, you're starting, this, you're starting with the pain early. Yeah. You can't look at two black men and call them the same thing. <laughs> so, Gary O'Reilly, former soccer pro. Uh, yep. That's right. Well, it's good to good have to be you. Here. Footballer, as it were. Footballer. Yes. Uh, so uh, today, a topic is going to be on sort of technology as yeah. applied to sports, the future of tech, mm -hmm. and, and all that comes with it. Not only uh, 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 biologically, but uh, technologically, and what might even be the interface between the two. Absolutely. Nice. That's all fair game, right? But none of us have any expertise in that. <laughs> so uh, we've got live on video. Yes. Angela... Ruggiero. Angela, welcome to Star Talk Sports Edition. Thanks for having me. So you're an but, Olympic uh, hockey player? Yeah, four times. Oh, excuse me. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Wait, That's four right. times. How old are you? Four thing. You don't I was the that question. on the, uh, the first ever team in 98. We won a gold. Yep. And then uh, retired after the Vancouver Olympics, 2010. Wow. Very cool. There aren't many four-time Olympians in anything. In anything. Right, because yeah. you don't make it that far. Oh, that's why she's a Hall of Famer yeah, as well. Yeah, Hall of Famer. Very good. Mm -hmm. And we don't have you just because you only won medals for the Olympics. Uh, you're, you're currently CEO of a company that specializes in uh, the future of technology and sports. Tell us about that. Yeah, we're so when I retired, I was fascinated with tech's impact on sports, both on and off the field of play. Um, and so started a company, Sports Innovation Lab, where we are research and strategy really focused on the future fan. So we empower brands, media partners, uh, properties to really understand the future of sport through the lens of technology. Like, how do you leverage tech to do sport better, uh, both on and off the field of play? So I was, I was fascinated by tech as an athlete because it's a, so attached to you know understanding your body and and obviously on the business side we see its explosion everywhere and you know sports is one industry that is obviously trying to wrap its head around this stuff as well now you're up in boston which is quite the location for a high level university thinking so are, are you there so that you can tap sort of the engineers and science that flows through that town yeah, no, it's actually one of the reasons we are. I mean, I, I actually went to Harvard undergrad and I went to the business school here, um, saw the massive opportunity for talent recruitment, uh, biotech, fintech. I mean, sports tech is one area that I'd like to grow here in Boston. So there's the talent, there's the tech sort of focus here in Boston, but also we got a great sports culture, um, you know, Absolutely. love or hate the Patriots, the Red Sox, you know, the Bruins, <laughs> we got, we have... A, a nice sports culture here, and in addition, all the university sports that are putting on a great show. So we've got a nice blend here, I think, to really make sports tech a home. So nice sports culture is code for crazy sports that's, fans. Yeah, that's what it is. That's like that's like saying that's like you know, if you love it or you think we're crazy. No, yeah, that's kind of like saying uh, Philadelphia fans are excitable. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, I was just, I forgot the occasion. I was channel surfing in some odd channel that had three digits behind it. And I saw an old hockey game from the 1960s, pro hockey N NHL, and nobody had on a helmet. The, 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 not the, not the players, hockey. not the goalie. Old time a, hockey. So, so, back as, in the old days. That's we, right. That, <laughs> Where teeth were not optional. <laughs> you didn't have them. So, and even if you came with teeth, we got rid of them before we let you on the team. So there was all of this sort of shoulder gear and pads and everything, but the little heads sticking out. So, I, I, so hockey has changed. From back then, yeah, it's well. It's funny. Um, back then, a lot less protection. Obviously, I I still have all my teeth. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> the the game's gotten faster, quicker. Like every sport, athletes are just better. They're they're training more efficiently. So the game's sped up. So you actually need really good equipment now to prevent you know concussions and you know the injuries that you might have seen in the past. Um, but I, it's. The goal, the fact that the goalies didn't have helmets, I think, is the craziest thing. They they put their face in front of the puck to save it and be <laughs> proud of all the scars they had. I'm like, that, I didn't play that sport. I, mean, I, had, I had full gear on. They're a different breed. Go, go. Goalkeepers in football, soccer, goldminders in hockey. Oh, that whole, the whole community yeah, of yeah. goalkeepers. Uh -huh. That's a species, that's a subspecies. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you got to love them, though, but they're a different thinker. They yeah, my clear. brother, my dad were goal, you know, they were both goalies. They always say they're a little wacko to want to play that position. Whoa. So yeah. that's yeah. just my personal bias. <laughs> so you guys solicited questions from our fan base on we this did. very subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can take turns. Who goes first? Gary? Go for it, Gary. Okay, so uh, just to put the cherry on the cake, I do believe Angela was voted by Forbes one of the 25 most powerful women in sport. What makes you so powerful, Angela? It's working out. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the gun show. Yay. <laughs> See? So, so I, I, only went to, I not only went to Harvard twice, I can also kick your ass. There you right. go. That's what that is. Right. <laughs> As if you didn't know. I, I thought it was, you know, one thing I did when I uh, transitioned from playing to, you know, obviously it's a really hard for most athletes, I think, figure out what they have a passion for next. Um, I was lucky. I got elected to be a member of the International Olympic Committee. So That's I spent right. eight years on the board there. I was on the executive board. Got me exposure to global sport. My last role was with the LA 28 Olympic bid. So we were able to bring, you know, successfully bring the games back to LA in 2028. I was the chief strategy officer there. So I really just thrust into the business of sports after I retired from playing. It's the only thing I knew. And that's, again, what led me to founding Sports Innovation Lab is just this this desire to help the industry in general thrive and be better. And, you know, it gave so much to me as an athlete that I uh, want to try to get back in some small way. So you'll surely have opinions on any question that we hand you here. Exactly. So, so what do you have, All right, Gary? Let's kick off first. BrettM615 on Instagram. I am curious to know how and if new leaps in quantum computing technology, this is your field, dude, could affect the future of sports. Could AI offer alternative ways to fundamentally approach how certain sports are played? So let me offer that question in a, in a, in a different frame. Please so do. So quantum computing would greatly speed up any computing that's currently going on right now. So let me ask you two questions. Is the role of a computer applied in whatever way it is to whatever sport, is that something that you can say, you know, we just need that computer to go a little faster in what it's, in what it's delivering to us? Or is there something the computer isn't doing, can't do, because no one dreamt of how you might apply a super-duper extra-fast computer to 
to a sport? Yeah, so I'd say on the field of play, um, it certainly could help. We see already with like NASCAR as an example, they use AI to predict um, possible malfunctions in their cars. Right. That's in- decreased the number of crashes by roughly 75%. That's a sport where AI, quantum computing could actually potentially help decrease injuries. Wait, wait, wait. Um, so you saying, of, so cars have sensors then on all the things that could go wrong? Cars have sensors. You're increasingly see just uh, athletes have sensors. This yeah. is a whole field of, we call it quantified athlete, companies that are monitoring, measuring, predicting performance, preventing injury. We talked about helmets. And, you know, if you could actually detect impact right. and use quantum computing or, or AI to say, hey, this athlete's been hit too much, they need to get off the field. They're about to throw out their shoulder because they pitched too much this game. I mean, there's a whole oh, body of work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Obviously, with a car, it's easier to quantify. But with humans, there are you know tons of these companies are coming out, and quality of data, all that is questionable. Um, but at least we see a massive mm-hmm. increase in investment in this space because it'll extend into healthcare. You know, right? If you wow. can actively predict when you're about to be dehydrated. You know, everyone would want to know that. Or when you're over, you know, you're tired and you need to get more recovery, you know, the human population would want to know, hey, I need to go to bed earlier versus just an elite athlete. So quantum computing just on the field is absolutely a piece of this. You're a commodity to the owner of the team. So they want to protect their investment in any way they can, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're, I mean, your body's your business and they pay you for it. To perform, if you're the, you're talking about cars, or you are the car, you're the athlete. Right. Um, protecting that investment, that asset is, and I hate to express it like that, but you are a commodity, you are an asset. Athletes yeah. know that. Yep. They want to be empowered with that information to say, hey, I'm not going to throw another ball. I'm not going to go out on the ice today. I'm not going to get hit again. I got to protect my brand. I got to protect who I am. Um, so certainly on the field of play, but there's a ton of use cases for automated content production. If you think about replays and what that future fan would like to see when they're consuming sports, AI right. is like crushing it. Um, you're using you know, a lot of this to really personalize the experience for the fan. And we're really just in our early days of, of you know, creating highlights and using AI to help service the fan in a more personalized way. I, I mean, you know, to the fan, can, can you imagine, it could have happened by now, I don't see, with, with GoPro technology, why doesn't every player have a little GoPro camera or whatever brand right at their point of view. And then maybe in the future of TV, you can select Who which, like whose player's see. point of view you want to you follow during the game. You'll be able yeah, to do that. So but There's with- actually a lot of companies doing it, not through the lens of the, of the athlete, because they, you know, the weight and, you know, there's, you got to deal with all the unions. Yeah. But companies like Intel, volumetric video is an example, you could wrap cameras around a, a stadium, mm-hmm. and right now the producer gets to pick the angle that you get to watch at home, oh. and you have no agency. In the future, you're going to be able to take those angles and actually zoom in, zoom out, pick the player perspective, and literally watch sports through your own personalized lens. And that That's pretty years cool. off, but with quantum computing, AI, like Easy. that is what the future is. Very, very cool. cool. With I love fiber that. technology, you should be able to get something. What kind of technology? Fiber. Fiber, okay. uh-huh. So, so maybe you'll be able to get a camera fitted into a very a small so it's not so really it's not, it's not going to be involved you're not having a yeah. weight issue it's not they, intruding don't they on kind of already do that with nascar there's some cameras oh, on the side definitely. of the car well, or, yeah, the, the driver in the in the car right. out on the side of the car yeah right right yeah, the camera, the, NASCAR's an easy one you just bolt it onto the you know to the car itself right but if you're trying to putting something on a person you know how hard it is as an athlete like 
I don't want the extra weight, the bulkiness, like if it's going to get in the way. And then a big question we see with just data coming off the athlete is um, who owns the data? Right. If you're going to sell this for fan engagement, I want my upside. Oh, of course. Hey, you're going to be able to tell the fans what's going on, which the fans absolutely want to know both on and off the field. They want to know more about those athletes. Like, Maybe I don't want to share everything I'm doing every day, every night, every second. Um, so there's this tension right now and quality control where who owns the data? Where does it go? Do I even trust the data coming off the athlete? Right. Um, I want not, to own that as mention, an athlete and sell it, make my upside versus not the to mention the manipulation it. of that data too, which which will be an issue at hand because the once data exists, the fact is you can do stuff with it. I mean, yeah, so it's not yeah. even a matter of just consuming it. You're going to have, like, for instance, when you talk about the wraparound stadium, what you'll be able to do is remix games so that oh. the NFL game that you saw on Sunday through Fox, somebody else will come in and remix that game so that it's a completely different experience <laughs> for other people to see. And then it's like, wow, who who owns that? And does you, what happens with the YouTube viewers? It's a whole big thing, man. User-generated content, you know, hey, I can do it better than Fox or NBC. Like, look at, look at the angles I found. I mean, right. that is a big form of engagement in the future. So, mm. you know, who owns the data? Who owns the feeds? Who can do it better? Like, future, we call them fluid fans at Sports Innovation Lab. Fluid fans want control, agency, personalization. So, yeah, who owns it and how can we use it? And yeah. not to be seen as like a limitation, but an opportunity to engage your fans is, Absolutely. I think, the future. And, and, that, and that's going to be worth something financially. Absolutely. The fan will pay for that, and then you want the, the, the player It's, a, it's who another is, layer of another uh, layer of income re- revenue. An, another But the biggest layer. problem, and Angela, you'll know this as an athlete as well, I don't want my personal bio data out there because I might have an injury that I've been coping with privately that I don't want a team that might buy me as an athlete to know about, and therefore I get a reduced contract offer in the future. So there's all those sort of, and that's where the players' unions, I'm sure, or, are Or in you them. could be injured in a, some way that you've been hiding, and another player knows that, and then they'll check you on that shoulder. See what I'm saying? See yeah. what this, <laughs> right. this is? Exactly. A, this is love. <laughs> uh, no, it's a... It's a good point, though, because yeah. the athlete, but also might have the opportunity to sell that data to sports betters now. That's right. Oh, uh, there you go. Again, that's gonna that's a whole other industry. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to use that for social media, so my fans actually know me, and I'm willing to give you my heart rate and things that you know maybe I'm not going to sell to these companies or the league. So this I, I won't give you my heart, but I'll give I'll you my, my heart, heart rate. rate. <laughs> Oh, just in time for Valentine's. Here's my BPMs, baby. <laughs> so, right. Angela, uh, we got to wrap up this segment, uh, but a quick question. Uh, did you play hockey for Harvard? I did. Okay, so you must know Oliver Barrett. I don't. <laughs> he was, that's the character in the movie Love Story. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Love of Story. Of course, so he played hockey for Harvard. And the reason why I'm even bringing this up is there was an innovative camera angle in one of his hockey games where they put the camera at the base of the of the hockey stick and you were right. with the puck as, as he maneuvered went, the yes. puck down. I think that's the open, actually. Down the, down the ice. So, what, so think about if you haven't done it already, of all the points of view in a game you're going to watch, one of them might be the puck. Mm. Yeah, no, actually, the NHL is invested in player puck tracking. So you can track the puck now and the player and the angles that they're getting both from like it's going to help the teams understand strategy, but now the fans are going to better understand the sport. It's a whole new investment. If if you haven't seen it, they you know the NHL is just launching it, but it, it's exactly that. Can you put a chip in a puck? 
and follow the players with cameras. And that will, again, enhance the, the viewing experience and, and obviously impact strategy down the line. So player Actually, and puck I, tracking is a thing. Of course, that Maybe movie was... Maybe started love story. Yeah, you know, that, that, that movie was ago. 50 years ago. So, I, you know... They had movies 50 years ago? <laughs> we're to wrap up this segment. When we come back, more Star Talks Sports Edition, the future of technology and sport, with our special guest, Angela Ruggiero. Stay tuned. Star Talk, we're back. Sports edition. Chuck Nice, Gary O'Reilly. We've got on a live video Angela Ruggiero, a multi four time Olympian. She's CEO of her own company up in Boston that's studying the future of tech and sports as it applies to the sport itself, the players, and even the fans. So it's a Cosmic Queries edition. So, Chuck, you're next up. All right. So, this is. By uh, the way, the first segment, we only got through one question. So that's fine. That's all right. Okay. With one brilliant answer. Angela gives wonderful information. Okay. In that okay. one answer, we covered like, so much ground. All right. So give it to me. Yeah. Anybody who has a problem with it, you know what? Shut up, <laughs> hockey puck. All right. <laughs> Shut up, you hockey puck. All right. Here we go. This is Ask for Sigurd Vincent. Um, and he's a Patreon patron, which means that. Then you better pronounce his name right. I'm, Try I'm, again. I'm, that's his name. Ask for Sigurd Vincent. Yeah. All right. I'm good with the Nordic names. All right. It's the regular names I have a problem with. <laughs> All right. Like, you know. <laughs> uh, he says, could AI and big data one day be viewed as an unfair advantage? Ooh. Now, only to the team stupid enough not to use it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Angela, wh what about how level the playing field is if one team decides they're not going to invest in a gym with exercise equipment? Well, they will, but not as much as some other team, and they put the extra budget into AI, big data, tech, to analyze performance to boost their competitive advantage. Is that is that an unfair, is that a, a non-level playing field? It's already, it's already happening. And yeah. teams that aren't investing it are already losing ground. I mean, you, you, I think you expect as an athlete, uh, you know, we see VR and AR is an example. VR is a big thing. You know, it's fun, but there are companies now saying, hey, we don't want the reps on the body of the athletes give them some virtual training where they can practice scenario analysis without the impact on them as a person. So we're already seeing investments in these kind of technologies that, again, uh, level the playing field in some cases, but give a give a massive um, advantage to, to, to uh, and look, every team is different. Some are making decisions on their gut still and hey, get in the gym and work harder, not smarter. And, yeah, well, they're stupid. You know, that's unfortunately <laughs> the case, but the, the smartest companies or excuse me, teams are saying, why not take advantage of all this personalized tech mm -hmm. to give again, a personalized experience. And that's about understanding who you are. I played hockey. There's five, six people on the ice, different positions, different ages, different injuries, different requirements, positions. We shouldn't train the same exact way. The investments in that, that personalized training is, is where we see a lot of the investment being made. So you're saying a headset can replace some training where you're getting your brain familiar with setups and 
configurations on the ice or on the field. Not just some. And without putting your body at risk, because it's, it's still, even if it's, it's softer contact, somebody's still hitting you. It's not just some. I mean, I'm not speaking as an expert, but I just read an, uh, an article in Scientific American about... Um, We're so proud the, of you, Chuck. Thanks, man. But, uh, Angel, the, you proud of him? <laughs> he's our in-house comedian, and he comes to my house saying he's reading Scientific American. Of I'm course, proud of you, Chuck. I, I have a subscription. But neurologically, what happens is the visual cortex is engaged in such a way that experientially, your brain is going through that experience. Okay. So you are literally in the game right. as far as your brain is concerned when you are training uh, visually with these headsets. You are in the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, Angela, this this has this virtual reality that's constructed is brilliant for quarterbacks that are sort of third and fourth string. They don't get game time. They're not going to get, get reps. reps. Oh. So they, but they are learning to to. This is game development. So they bring up their game to a speed without getting smashed to bits. Now the also thing in soccer, they use it for a coaching aid, where a coach can take himself into a game, and realize why a player made a certain decision. Same with ice hockey. Why did that pass go there? Why did that happen here? Now that's a now. Where do you see this? evolving where do you see the next iteration of this going i think it's just it'll be the the bare minimum that you're gonna again have use and application of all these technologies to give you table stakes so we talk about the ten thousand hours to be an elite athlete and that required getting on a car driving to practice like maybe you can accelerate those ten thousand hours because you're doing some of it virtually yeah. in the future now you're focused more on the skills components and the personalization versus you know just pounding the pavement and getting your reps in but you know the thing i'm most excited for outside of just the athletes is actually the fans so those that are using you know technologies that are enhanced, you're going to give you a more personalized experience as a fan, maybe personalized chatbots. They know kind of, I walk in the door, they know who I am, what I like, what I, you know, what kind of athlete they're personalizing my, the Jersey they send to my house, the beer that I like to drink while I'm there. <laughs> they literally everything. I mean, that I think is one thing I'm really excited for because you can make money by winning championships or just having a killer Fan, fan experience. Yeah. So let me ask you, what's what is it course, happening? Wait, wait. That's that's kind of already they've already been trying to do that at stadiums. Yeah, right? I was the about to say what's, what's happening now at stadiums to yeah. to increase the fan experience. I haven't been to a stadium in a while, so that's why I'm asking. It's been a while since I've been especially to especially since. What is your urge to go to a stadium if you can stay home with an 85 inch flat panel? Uh, monitor. Uh, guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, that is the tension in this world right now is the majority of fans can stay home, have a great experience, have 10 screens open, a second screen, a third screen, watch multiple sports, personalize their content. Like, so what's the impetus to get up and have that hassle to get to the stadium and the cost to do that and bring your family? And it's all about that smart venue is what we call it at Sports Innovation Lab. It's about creating a personalized experience maybe you're you don't have to deal with security now because you you know think about clear you ever, you guys use clear I at use the airport? clear yeah yeah i use clear They're, at the airport i love it they're coming into stadiums now so now you use your biometrics you walk right in maybe now your identification is attached to that so you're using your thumbprint in your eyes to order you're over 21 you can order food maybe you have a tab now oh angela's in the venue again I mean, bring up beer, huh? They know I like IPA, so they're gonna flash some 
you know, coupon or free drink, some sort of engagement around the kind of food and beverages I like. And you know who my favorite athlete is as a, as a venue, as a, as a property owner. And now LeBron James gives me a ride home from the stadium. <laughs> nah. <laughs> you just have to do more to service this, you know, fluid fan, we call it. And that is the big hurdle that a lot of these properties are trying to figure out. Like, you can't Brilliant. just rely on, on the field anymore. If you're winning, fantastic. But the majority of teams do not win. They don't win the championship. So what are you going to do to get them off their butts, get in the stadium, that, and make them deep, have a great experience? A fact. The majority of teams, the teams do not, not win championships. Them. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> See, someone you'll know, uh, is it John Ledecky at the Islanders? Yeah, yeah. They're building this new uh, arena in Belmont on Long Island, and he's he was describing... New Belmont racetrack. Yes. Yeah, at the, at the exactly area what you've just described, where you get face recognition, they welcome you, your family, who are your guests, and they know what you ordered last time, and they're saying, would you like to repeat that order? And he said, well, what we want to try and do is, re rather than have you sat in traffic an hour or however long it takes to once you leave the arena, he said, build areas where you could go and watch things, be entertained, have free Wi-Fi, and you can spend that hour enjoying yourself, not sat in your car. So that's the thinking that's currently coming through. Threefold increase in the last 10 years in what we call these entertainment districts. So you don't build a stadium anymore, you build a district because everyone can't get in, they can't afford to get in, maybe don't want to get in, they just want to be a part of the atmosphere, they could care less about the sport. It's about entertainment, it's about Again, you're capturing more of their their wallet share and their time share at the end of the day. I think that is the most important thing I've learned at Sports Innovation Lab. We are in the attention economy. Sports is awesome. I love it. I played it. I want people to love But we cannot drop the ball and not take advantage of tech and all these amazing innovations to get people engaged. And that's what Belmont is doing. They're saying, cool. mm, yeah. all right, maybe you don't want to go to the game and watch the Islanders, but you want to be a part of what everyone else is doing. You know what? That... That basically sums up what the Super Bowl is. The majority of people watching the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday are not football fans. Mm. They just want to be a part of the Super Bowl Culture. cultural experience. Right, right. Cool. So all right, next let's, question. All right, let's questions? go. So mm -hmm. we've got David John Chase on Facebook. Is there any thought as to how strategies or techniques suggested by a computer analysis affect the entertainment value of sports? Sport. So, in other words, I'm, I'm guessing. Ooh, interesting. Should should we now, as an entertainment business, be constructing plays that are more entertaining than plays that are just there to outright win? I love that question. That's a that's a really interesting question. I mean, I'd say if you own the team or you want to win because you make more money when you win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think what I'm seeing more of here at Sports Innovation Lab is is. What are the ways we can create more shoulder content, more maybe not on the field of play, we can control it. But to your point of uh, the Super Bowl, everyone knows that JLo is going to be, you know, the, the halftime show and people wait to see the commercials and they want to know about what the athletes are doing 24 seven now. And like a small fraction of what we consume as sports fans now is actually the game. A lot of it is all the stuff that surrounds it. And that's where maybe the investment dollars should be thought to to go as opposed to, ah. you know, manipulate the game. I don't know as a purist if I'd ever want that to happen. No, I'm I'm want, I don't think it would happen anyway because, quite frankly, most fans are interested in winning more. What entertains a fan, if you're that fan, Wait, I, is I, seeing your team I, win? I, well, no, I, I, let, let me give an example. Go ahead. Okay. I'm on a basketball court all right. and I break away. Right. And I know I got a teammate right behind me. Okay. I'm I could make the easy layup, but wow. I do not. 
I toss it against the backboard. Alley it bounces off the backboard, and the guy behind me catches it in midair and slams it. And I am on Sports Center that night right. in plays of the day. Because you're showboating. Well, That's what you're doing. You're a showboat. Okay, so we analyze it and say <laughs> that gets extra fan engagement, extra social media, you're right. uh, repostings. Yeah. So so that makes sports that much more of an entertainment commodity than simply, are you making the show? Right. Well, let me just, and I'll let Angela get in on this too, but what you just said is more of a jazz-like improvisation than it is a design play that's put into the game for the purposes, express purpose of entertaining but the But at fans. some point, somebody had to invent the alley-oop, all right? All right. And I, 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 I would I, bet that half the alley-oops ever done were completely unnecessary <laughs> because the person who tossed the alley oop probably could have taken the shot themselves. Okay, probably was a shot. Yeah. <laughs> initially, it was yeah, a shot. Yeah. So, Angela, what what is your sense of that? Um, and I'll, I'll lead with another example because uh, I remembered I was in I was alive and aware in the early days of computing when this happened. Jugglers, the three ball juggle, where you can toss one into another like this, and another one is they go in a circle. There. Uh, there's a juggle sequence that a computer discovered that no one had ever thought of before. And then it got introduced into the juggling repertoire. Mm -mm. And so this would be computing saying, you know, here's a thing you've never done before on a hockey a field. Is right? there any usage of art artificial intelligence in play design? Play design. There it is. Yeah. So we're seeing, um, obviously... If, if the alley-oop isn't going to affect the outcome because you're going to score one way or the other, like, that makes sense. Of course, like, the NBA is all about entertainment. Um, the There's more opportunity for entertainment with individual athletes than with team sports. I mean, the, the chain, even going into the locker room and giving access, like, that's a cultural shift to allow fans to engage in that way. Um, I don't know if, you know, I'm not seeing anything prescriptively about on the field of play, we're seeing a ton about fan engagement off the field of play. So not as bullish, obviously, on changing plays or changing techniques, you know, AI affecting. Now, AI is absolutely affecting predictive analytics. Again, back to sports betting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, We know that, you know, there's there's been some simulations around uh, EA Sports and Madden, and they've, they've actually predicted 10 out of the last 15 Super Bowl victories based on video game simulations. Oh, so that's like, okay, they're using it to predict outcomes, but they're not actually, it's it's not the coach sitting there saying, hmm, what's, now there's there's football leagues being designed, your call football, fan control football, which are saying, hey, fans, pick which one you want. And so the coach says, here are four different options. You go online and pick. And because of low latency, you can see the play in real time and, and actually have impact in what play that that coach will call. Of course, they can override it in certain cases. They're like, you fans are idiots. I know what's going to win the game. Right. But for the most part, that is fan engagement, and it's based on this, which is crazy. Right. I just don't know, again, is that what the future holds? Or are people going to say, I want to sit back and relax and just watch? <laughs> right. <laughs> what else am I paying for? For you to make the decision. <laughs> exactly. As I can. Yeah. we got to take a break. We'll come back with our third segment of Star Talk Sports Edition. We're back. Star Talk. 
Sports Edition, Cosmic Queries. Angela on the line. Hockey, yeah. great. Uh, uh, yeah. CEO uh, uh, of C- was it Sports Innovation Lab? Sports Innovation Lab, Innovation yeah. Lab right? A, a Olympian, a gold medalist, and Hall of Famer. Wow! And the right person for this show. And she has all her teeth. Wow! That's that's the most. Rem- forget the medals. She's got all her teeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody in this conversation is pleased with that. <laughs> all right. So uh, in this last segment, let's see how many. If we can get more questions squeezed in. Okay. Right. So we tighten up the question and the answer. What do you have? All right. Here we go. Here we go. This is Michael Tobias from Patreon. Uh, he says hello, Doctor Tyson uh, and Angela. One day, will advancements in sports technology eventually lead to athletes not requiring as much talent? To be considered exceptional, uh, and as for fandom, will advancements in sports watching technology lead to nobody wanting to uh, attend events in person? We kind of touched on that just a a second ago, but I like this idea of, could it lead to a decrease in necessary talent? Kind of like the money ball thing, you know, where Mm. you're going after such specific skill sets that maybe this guy doesn't have to be an all-around ball player, all-around skater, all-around hockey player. Well, I just need you to do this one thing. Is that is there any fear of that? Yeah, specialization is always, I think, um, part of what sport. We're all trying to perfect, you know, our output at the end of the day. I think it'll make us smarter in our choices of who we select to be on teams. Um, it, it'll be less based on gut and more based on this money ball. What does the data say? Um, at the end of the day, though, you can't measure heart. You can't look at you know something like uh, a skill-based sport through the lens of tech. I mean, there's certain things that you, you can learn more about, but you need the athlete to, to deliver on. So I'd say those skill-based things and like performance in the clutch. So I still think sports will always be have the human element. But it certainly will make it smarter in ways that will, again, prevent injury and and allow the right talent to be selected for the right roles. I I, I like that answer because That's a great answer. what it puts right out up front is, at the end of the day, the elite athlete is not simply the person who's physically fit, because you can. That's a dime a dozen. It's the person whose brain, whose mind, can take them to a new place, and be and perform in the clutch, perform under pressure. Perform with fans screaming. Perform. That's not any old, old person. That's no. That's the rare. The that, that's the elite. At the end of the day, it's yeah. the mind. It's like you get to the Olympics and everyone's good, and yes. it's who's going to show up on that one day <laughs> yeah. and perform and with, with their game in play. Yeah. By the way, Angela, I just got a text from my uh, cardiologist. He says, "Yes, Angela. Yes, you can measure heart." <laughs> <laughs> Why is your cardiologist listening to right, our, no, right, our right, right, right? Okay, okay. Next, and, one. next one. Coming. All right, Andrew Sidiger on Facebook. He's got two daughters who are speed skaters, so kind of in your uh, realm of expertise. I know there's been some huge advancement in skin suits, materials, and technology. I dream the day when the suit will provide real time data on athletes' performance. Isn't that already out there in terms of the suits? These are, these are suits that monitor you medically, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah it depends on the sport, but we're seeing that, uh, you know, increasing, you know, an investment in, in, again, data coming off the athlete. Because if you can know in real time, hey, this athlete's overheating, this athlete's tired due to injury, um, you can track just their speed alone. You're talking about speed skating. 
been so much better than a stopwatch, you know, yeah. coach on the corner doing this or uh, so if the, if you can get down to the, the, the millisecond again, usually there's technologies in the skate um, and that's how they review, you know, who won the, the race, so to speak. Okay. But the, but having something on your body is so accurate and it, it, it's going to allow in the future a lot more different data points um, and data for data's sake, not good. It's the analysis that we always sort of skip over. It's like, what does that tell you? What does that mean? How do you change your training regimen based on that? Right. Wow. Cool. And that'll separate the clever people from the people who just want to get data because it sounds like it's a cool thing to get data. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day is what is your understanding and interpretation of the data? Well, data. that's true in science and all of science. All of science. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Data is cheap. It's the analysis it's and understanding that separates what you do with it. You do with it. Mm. All right. Give me another one quick. All right. Here we go. Um, Raj Tilak Kapoor says, uh, I don't believe any of these names you're reading. I, what, listen, man. That's what's there. It's <laughs> okay. right there, okay. Rashalak. You just sound like you don't know what you're reading, no, but no. go on. It's, not, it's, it's, go, a go. it's such a common Indian name. What's <laughs> <Okay>. up, Raj? <laughs> go. All right, here we go. He says, hey, hey, Star Talk team, thanks for continuing your amazing work in making science inspirational. My question is this. Almost every competitive sport has its own version of the argument of who is the greatest of all time. Will the application of AI and other technologies finally be able to give us a definitive answer of who is the greatest of all time in any sport? So this would be, you'd have to, and often is the case, someone from yesteryear mm -hmm. who excelled, could they beat someone today right. kind of thing. Yeah. So does that go on in, uh, it's certainly a fan interest topic, whether or not, you know, the athletes themselves give a rat's ass, but fans argue about this all oh, the time. Oh, by the way, in, in yes, they do. In, in, in bars. <laughs> so, someone's going to come up with some algorithm that, you know, they're going to claim will definitively say who's the best athlete. I think it's, even just within a sport, the debate is so incredibly hard because we just talked about performance technology on the athlete. You know, you've got better ways to train now through technology. You've got better analytics on, uh, you know, you know, better bats, better balls. I mean, so athletes in general have more resources at their fingertips. So they should be getting better, faster, stronger, more efficient, more lean. But then to compare by sport, I mean, someone's going to have to do the weighting and say, well, a hockey player has X, Y, and Z, and we should weight relative to a swimmer. That I think is all subjective. I don't believe whoever's going to rank it is going to be objective. Okay, I get that, but I, the other I have a problem with the 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 who's the greatest of all time because it's which who do you respect? Which sports do you respect? What, what I think the way you do that is you say how great were you in your day relative to other players? So, in your sport, I think that's smart. But how would the, you then rank a swimmer to a hockey player compared to a, a soccer player, footballer? Well, then I don't think you could do it. And also true, you're definitely going to have a bias. And even if you write an algorithm, that algorithm is going to reflect the bias that you have for the totally. sport, without a doubt. Unless we build AI, that'll have its own AI bias. <laughs> and say, well, what is that? All right, All right next one up. Right, Chris Cherry is in Queensland, Australia, and he's on Instagram. Hi, Angela. Hi, Neil. My question is, the new technology making sport more difficult for poorer countries to be competitive. Ooh, if your country one. or club can't afford the latest tech, how can they be expected to compete at the highest levels? Oh, excellent. Angela, ah. what are you doing about that, Angela? Well, this this <laughs> refers maybe to your Olympic experience. Well, no, you're talking about an Olympic? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's one of the best questions. There's over 205 national Olympic committees in the world. There's, you know, 40 or 50 international federations. 
they come from everywhere, different socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, there's different access at the end of the day. Do I want to see technology making the, the richer better or check in my head should level the playing field should everyone should have access to this information the suits shouldn't be so expensive that only the you know the rich countries have access to it so i think it's philosophically right now yes i do think the professional organizations are the ones that can afford a lot of this technology to help their athletes perform better but i think in the future just like any technology it, it gets more accessible more cost effective through time as it grows and scales. And that's what I would love to see as an Olympic athlete. That's, that's about like, you should be able to win a gold based on who you are and how you train, not what you can afford. Is it happening? Absolutely. I mean, that's why we see everyone with a new product goes to the NFL or the premier league or the, you know, the biggest organizations to sell first and not, you know, the national Olympic committee of, you know, X, Y, and Z. But in the future, that's why I love what we're doing is some of this technology, we're talking specifically about the athlete, should allow broad access and broad information. A wearable used in the right way should be at a price point that everyone could track their heart rate and benefit from it if they use the information correctly. So I don't know if I'm answering it, no, but it's I good. hope. I, and I'm, I'm reminded the opposite of that was, Rocky versus Drago. Right. Because right? Drago had all the Russian technology. He was made in a lab. <laughs> and Rocky's just, you know, doing I'm shit punching up. meat <laughs> and screaming for Adrian. <laughs> I do it for Philadelphia. <laughs> okay. By the way, this thing about, uh, Angela, exactly what you said, there's a point where technology, however flashy it is when it first comes out with only access by rich people, there's a point where the technology commoditizes. Right. And then it gets spread to the masses. And in fact, usually when it first comes out, it's not very good. No, it's like kind of buggy. Phones. Like the early cell phones, cell phones were like... They, was, they sucked. They sucked. Right. Okay, and once they became commoditized, there's economic value to making it affordable to as many people as possible. So I'm just echoing the point you made that you're absolutely right technologically that this that's the arc of technology. Okay. Yes, the rich people have it first, but ultimately it works out so you want and, and you want at least the price point to be accessible to the poorest of nations. And, and and not maybe the Olympic, the International Olympic Committee could have a pot of money just to help countries come along. I mean that, well, they, is, do. Is, that they do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So here's here we go. It's me, Hanwi says this. Hey, Dr. Tyson and Angela, I love you guys. Above all else, what is the role of sports in our lives? Are we the only animals that engage in this type of behavior? Is the meaning of sports changing with the development of technology and AI and AR? What is, why do we do this? Why, Angela? Why do we do this? What are we killing ourselves wait, for? Wait, isn't it, wait, wait, isn't it just a replacement for war? Angela, what do you think? I think sports is one of the most impactful ways we can teach our children how to be good people, how to learn, how to work as a team, how to set goals, how to have, you know, determination, uh, leadership skills, know when to, you're not, you know, when to step. I mean, there's so many life lessons in sport. The best societies, in my opinion, value sport, make sport accessible to everyone, boys and girls. It isn't just about professionalism. I think the role of sport and leading organizations is to make sure that they're not just making money, but that they're growing sport in their regions within all communities. So love this question because the role of sport isn't about sport and entertainment. Yes, that's the business we're in that most people 
view sport through the lens of that. But, you know, here in the U.S., we have the NCAA where you can get a great education. And, and in youth sports across the world, it's about, again, teaching these life skills in a safe environment that isn't you're going to fail. You know, you can you fall and get back up. Your dad says, get back out there. I don't care if you got cut. Hey, your mom says, you, you know, you got knocked over or called the name. You're going to be OK. You, you win a game. You learned what it feels like to succeed as a team. And that's that's business. That's life. So the role of sport, I think, needs to continue to be a focal area and PEs getting cut all the time. In the U.S., it's privatized. Sport is privatized. That is unlike the rest of the world where there's actually a sports minister that oversees the growth of sport. And that's fundamentally different way that we've structured our, you know, the, the way that we teach our children. So role of sports should be enhanced. I like tech because it makes these athletes smarter. Parents are going to make better decisions for their kids. And ultimately, we'll deliver a, a better fan experience, fan journey for those that just want to see it and be inspired. And sport brings communities together. Let's not, you know, let's think about the Super Bowl, the Olympics, the World Cup. It's about bringing people together, not bringing people apart. And so, so, so we shouldn't think about when they overturn cars at the end of a game that you, they lose. We shouldn't think about that. Hopefully, there's some insurance policy out by that organizing committee to, yeah. to cover the costs of that. By the way, those people came together to flip over that car. Yeah, those people were cooperating while they were rioting. That's my, that <laughs> cooperative. They were co that's cooperative cooperation. That's cooperation. That's at work. That's more a social issue than a sports issue, and I, I totally endorse what Angela's just said about how. How powerful sport is as a tool for unification, as a tool for a greater good. Uh, so let me ask you, I'm going to end with a final question to you, coming from me, not from, from these sheets. Um, are, are you a mother? Yes. Okay. What is your comment on the fact that kids today get medals for participating rather than for winning? The idea of losing has somehow become something that would be bring too much emotional stress upon the child. And so sports in the school systems or young school systems are are reconceived so that there are everyone is a winner. Hmm. So I you learn more when you lose than when you win, in my opinion. It That's actually forces you to look backwards instead of just forward. But I also think that Norway is a great example of sporting culture everyone plays sport for life there they keep score of the game but they don't keep score of the winner at the end of the season they're not dissuading kids by saying you you suck you should you know a lot of kids here they're not good because they've lost at a young age and they're not reinforced it's okay to lose it's okay to learn like that's just part of the process and so kids quit that's what i don't like in in this win-loss scenario um so we got to Teach kids it's okay to fail. You're not going to get a trophy. I'm all for that. Okay. <laughs> but that we are, we overemphasize winning here. So I'd like to see a better balance of losing is okay. We actually encourage you to lose. It's about what you do and to respond to that loss versus here's a trophy. Get back out there. Why? Okay. okay. That's right. your answer. There, there it is. It's a good answer. Well, uh, Angela, thank you for being on Star Talk Sports Bless Edition. You. We probably want to reach out to you again. We loved your answers, and I just want to bottle them and somehow yeah. spread spread the the wisdom and insight that you have brought to this program. Fantastic! Thanks, guys. All right, Chuck. Thanks for doing this. Always, Gary. Pleasure. Uh, Angela, again. So I've been Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Mm -hmm.